May the Lord God bless this reading of His Word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and setting on, set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning with open hearts, I pray, that we would hear your words, that we would take them in, that we would meditate upon them, but that they would ha- be effectual in our lives. Lord, this is a word that we all need. It is a word that speaks to our daily lives minute by minute, if not second by second. O Lord, be merciful to us in the use of our tongues. Father, would You cause the change within us, within our hearts, that would lead to speech that is glorifying to You. We pray that You would bless this Word, let it go forth and not come back void. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is a weighty text. A scary text for a preacher. You know, on Monday I I began looking through. I'd been studying the passage a little bit. Monday getting more serious and going through. And it seemed like every hour that went by, every day that went by, I found myself repenting for speech. So as a pastor for you, I'm not without need of this text. But we all need it. It it is weighty. Um, And it is something that James has been working his way up to. And just to give you an idea that James can be, on a cursory read, seem very random. The, The subject matter kind of bounces around like a pinball machine from one side to the other, up, down, side to side. 
And yet, if you study James' word, it is a type of wisdom literature. And he is progressing through this text. He's, he's wanting to make a point to these tribes that are dispersed throughout Asia that, that there is a changed life that happens within us. A new life that we have in Christ Jesus. A, a justification by faith that takes place that Richie talked about last week. But it is a faith that then works itself out. And it works itself out in a lot of different ways, but it works itself out practically speaking. And so as we began this study, we start right off the bat with count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials or various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so the first thing James wants us to hear is, you know what? Every day is going to be hard. Every day in life is not going to be easy. It's not just a stroll around the block. Every day that you get up, you are going to be met with something. And James wants you to know that those things that you're going to be met with, two things are required. One is that you know that it is a trial that is for the testing of your faith to produce steadfastness and to bear fruit. But but the other thing is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? I think the key to our text this morning would be that would underlie. How do you respond? How do you respond with your tongue? You you use this every single day. Some of us make a living by our tongue. You're a salesman. You're a teacher. You you speak to vendors or, or you're trying to win the business or you're trying to train up your child, mom. You're, you're teaching them very basics of life. And so you're using this tongue, but it could be used for good or it can be used for evil. So James put forth this trial piece first. And then later on in chapter one, he puts forth this idea of be quick to hear and slow to speak. He puts forth a principle that he's going to expand later and he's doing it in our text today, and in chapter 4, he's going to do it even further. But he also, in this chapter, brings forth wisdom. We need to clothe and bathe our speech with wisdom. Wisdom that's found in the Word of God. And that wisdom will control us in the way we respond during trials. Now, those trials can be various times, of various kinds. And what Richie talked about the last couple of weeks is a different type of trial. You're going to get in these situations where people are going to come into your presence. And he talked about the sin of partiality. How are you going to respond that way? He's not gotten to the tongue yet, but he has gotten to how do you live out the faith that you believe? What's in your heart? How, how do you respond to others? Do you look at the outward appearance or do you look like God does at the heart? And so Richie taught us about the sin of partiality. And then he built upon that last week when he got into a faith that works. A faith that is not alone. And so we have all these foundational principles that James is laying out for us and now he's going to get even more practical through what he speaks about today. Chuck Swindoll once wrote this about the goodness of the tongue. 
He said to the physician, it's a merely a two-ounce slab of mucous membrane enclosing a complex array of muscles and nerves that allows our bodies to chew, taste, and swallow. Equally significant, it is the major organ of communication. It enables us to articulate distinct sounds, languages, so that we can understand one another. Without the tongue, he says, no mother could sing their child to sleep at night. No ambassador could adequately represent a nation. No teacher could stretch the minds of her students. No officer could lead his fighting men in battle. No attorney could defend the truth in court. No pastor could comfort troubled souls. No complicated, controversial issue could ever be discussed and solved. Our world would be reduced to nothing more than grunts or shrugs without the tongue. We don't always stop and pause and realize about how glorious and wonderfully we are made and the gifts that we're given and the tongue being one of those. It's really meant for good. You can see all the good that Chuck Swindoll talks about. On the flip side, there's evil. There's the bad. Old Jewish teaching talks about the tongue being compared to an arrow. One day a student asked a rabbi, why not another weapon? Why the arrow? The rabbi answered, he said, because if a man unsheathes his sword and changes his mind about taking the life of another, he can just put it back in the scabbard. But with the arrow, once it is shot, it may never return. Think about that for just a moment. How many times in life have you had to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. You, you've said a terse word. You, you've said something hard. You, you, you didn't pause. You didn't, you didn't think about your response, but you just came right back and you said this. That word's gone. It's like the arrow. And arrows can strike. And they can embed deep within. You you can't get those words back. You can't reel it back in. It's already done its work. I've shared this before. And I'll probably share it a hundred times before I'm done preaching. I had a professor, Dr. John Hanna, church history, and he had this rule of five. If you, Some of you may remember, he had a rule of five. He started it when he first got married. And he, and he goes, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to always have this rule of five. It's either going to be five seconds, it's going to be five minutes, five hours, five days, appropriate to whatever the situation is. But we're not going to do anything with haste. Speech is included in that. Speech is included. We need to be very careful how quickly we respond. We should think about things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, take every thought captive. That includes a conversation that you're having back and forth. It's okay to be quiet for a moment. Silence can be golden. 
So we need to be careful about how our speech goes out for us, from us, because of what it can do. Well, this rabbi puts forth some wise wisdom in comparing the tongue to an arrow. You know, James talks a lot about the tongue. Probably the only book that talks more about the tongue is Proverbs. You'll hear this message today and you want to know how I can help tame the tongue, so to speak? Try reading Proverbs. You will find expositions on the tongue, on the lips, on the mouth, on the words that you use. Touch every part of your life. Some of those are these. The lips of the righteous feed many or nourish many. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And then the Proverbs 31 woman. She who opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. There's one other verse that's within Proverbs 18.21. It says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I think James chapter 3, you could probably say this is a sermon on that text. We'll say that the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. All this wisdom literature here. James is going to talk about the power of the tongue to bring forth good and to bring forth evil. It is a powerful instrument. And so James will lead us through this text. And he begins by giving us a warning. But he does it graciously. Because he says, let not many of you become teachers, my brothers. He wants them to know, I I identify with you because we identify with Christ. We're united with Him by His death, His burial, His resurrection. So, So take heed of what I'm about to tell you. He said, not many of you should become teachers. And what he's talking about here initially is teaching like what I'm doing here right now. You see, in rabbinical times, in Jewish culture, being a teacher was a place of high respect. You were well thought of. You were usually invited to meals and you got the best seat in the house. You were treated with some partiality, which James has already discussed here. And so you would have individuals that wanted to teach. They presumed that is a position that I want to have. And as you read through the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, you, you see what the motivation is of some people's hearts that want to teach. They want to do it for shameful gain. They want to do it for the position. And so James here says, careful, Not many of you are to teach. Now, he doesn't expand upon this, but the rest of Scripture does. Teaching is a spiritual gift. 
Some are gifted to bring forth the Word of God. And they may do it at different levels. Pastor Jake and I do it here on Sunday mornings. Some of the elders and others will do it in Sunday school hour. We've had an elder already come up and preach here. They should be able to do that. They should be able to teach, as 1 Timothy 3 says. We have Sunday school teachers, men and women, who God has gifted in such a way that they can give the gospel message to younger children. It's interesting, I was reading Kent Hughes this week. And he talked about a conference that was held years and years ago up in Chicago. And it was a teaching conference. And it got a lot of people to come in. Pastors and elders, but then Sunday school teachers. And they were in a, during a break, he's there getting coffee, and there was an older woman here, he says, had to be in her 80s. Her name was Helen. And so he struck up a conversation, where do you come from? And she said where she was from, and it was a pretty good drive from Chicago. And so what are you hoping to learn here? And she said, oh, I'm, I, I just want to be a better teacher. Well, who do you teach? I teach children. And the more she had this conversation with Kent throughout the conference, she found out of the influence that this teacher had. Dozens of individuals under her tutelage had gone on to become pastors and missionaries, teachers of the Word of God. Her influence through her tongue teaching the Word of God had great power on individuals. That's the positive side to this. But James wants us to know not all of us should teach. And then he tells us the why. He, he pulls us back a little bit because, because we all stumble in many ways. In other words, we all sin. First John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We need to know this reality. We all sin. And so for the teacher, the one who is proclaiming the Word of God, there's a greater strictness, a greater judgment that will come upon them because of what they say. I was walking up here this morning thinking, oh man, what one word and I'm before the Bema seat that Paul talks about. Are my words today going to last or are they going to be burned up? Now that's not true for just preachers and teachers, but that's true for all of us. We build on the foundation of Christ. But will our works, will our words be words for encouragement, for building up, for glorifying God? Or are they going to be words of destruction? Words that tear down and demean. Listen, I do that all the time. Philip Riken talks about it. He goes, he can't, he can't drive to and from work without having some remark for someone along the way. He, he, he said, I, I break this all the time. I curse people created in the image of God. I have no idea what is in that other person's mind or what their situation is. Do they have car trouble? Are they trying to be careful? 
I only care about they're in my way for where I want to go. And so we do this all the time. So we all stumble in many ways. And then he says this, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. What that really means is he's a mature man or woman. He's matured enough in the faith, not that he will not say things he shouldn't say or she say, but that most of the time he will do or she will do right. We have to be very careful about what we say. We are given the gift to teach to serve others. Teaching is a somber task any time that you do it. We need to have humility. We need to have meekness. And we need to know that there's judgment, like I said, with the Bema seat. But teaching is not just for those that are pastors or elders. We all teach. We are all to give the gospel in season and out, if you will. We're to share with others. You have a sphere of influence that I don't have. You will meet and greet people every day that I'll never see in my life. Maybe one day I I would meet them. But you're going to interact with others. What are you doing with your speech? Are you utilizing the speech to build a relationship so that you can speak into their lives the gospel of Jesus Christ? Looking to equip, to encourage, to build them up into faith? We should look to do that in all of our relationships. We should look to do good in our relationships. One of the things that Paul tells Titus with regards to teaching in the way you teach. I want you to teach with integrity. I want you to teach with dignity. I want you to teach with sound speech, sound words. We should have a reputation. We should have integrity. And we should have dignity in the way that we conduct our lives. We should speak in such a manner that shows the reality of Christ in us. It's when we don't do that that we show something entirely different. Well, those who can control the mouth or what they say, they're able to bridle the entire body. James will shift gears now and he will talk about the good of the tongue. And he brings forth two analogies you have in in your text. He'll talk about bits being in the mouths of horses and he'll talk about the rudder on ships. And he's trying to put forth this idea of what is very, very small can control something that is very large. I talked a few weeks ago about riding Sam, the thoroughbred horse, and destroying a tulip bed because I lost control of the reins. The bit did no good at that point. But what James says here, this, this bit, this little piece of metal that's in the mouth of a horse will control the entire body of the horse. Now, most thoroughbreds are about a 1,000 pounds. Most thoroughbreds can carry a quarter of a ton. 
They're like a pickup truck. And, and so with this huge animal, this beast of muscle, there's a lot of power in it. And yet, a child that is trained can sit in the saddle and make that horse dance. Bring it all under control. Use it for a good purpose to get from one point to the another, to compete in barrel racing, whatever it might be. Ships in the day that James was riding this were large. Not as large as we have today. Not like the Queen Mary II or something like that. But Paul talks about in Acts that the ship that he was on that wrecked had 276 people on board. That's a pretty good sized ship. I mean, you think about this middle section here in our sanctuary. And there may be 80 to 100 people. You have to have a pretty good sized ship to put 276 people on it. And yet it's all controlled by a rudder. Makes the course of where it's supposed to go. What James is trying to show us is that this little thing, the tongue, such a small member can boast of great things. And that idea of boasting there is, is a good boast. We boasted this morning when we were singing the songs. Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Blessed be Your name. Be Thou my vision. We were boasting in the Lord. Whenever we have the opportunity to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, we are boasting. We are boasting in Christ crucified. Not in ourselves. So it's a good thing for our tongues to boast when we boast in the Lord. But he also shifts and he wants to go to the dark side, if you will. And he hits this next when he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. That idea of a spark. When I was a young boy growing up in California, you may have had them here. There's not much forest here in Texas. There is in California. There is on the West Coast. But you'd have these commercials with Smokey the Bear. And Smokey the Bear would say, only you can prevent forest fires. Well, there's kind of part of that that applies to this. Only you can control that tongue, so to speak. And your propensity is to not control it. One little spark can start a forest fire. Like I said, out in California, you'd have fires all the time. I mean, you hear about them even today, but they happen. And it can happen by a little spark. And that little spark will then take acres and acres and acres. I remember seeing a news report one time that was fascinating to me. It, It was up near Mount Shasta, And the interstate, Highway 99 goes all the way out. Now it's Interstate 5, but when I was a kid, Interstate 5 hadn't been built. And Highway 99 goes up, and it's a four-lane highway. Two going and two coming. Watching this film and seeing the fire jump from one side over to the other. Almost the, the width of this sanctuary. 
in the report talking about the destructive nature of the fire and how hot it is, it doesn't need it doesn't need fuel to get to the other side. The heat is so hot, so incredibly hot, that the other side just combusts. James is saying that's what your words can do. It will do far more damage than you can even imagine. Far more damage. Paul will talk about the mouth and the tongue. He'll talk about gossip. He'll talk about slander. He'll talk about innuendo. He'll talk about the things we do and what we say. We are all guilty of gossip. Someone will say, did you hear about so-and-so? And you won't, you won't go, you know what, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to gossip. You'll go, no, what about so-and-so? And they'll say, well, I'm only saying this so we can pray for this person. We, we, we try to make it better. But we will. We'll, we'll talk about others. As if it's okay. As if as long as they're not there, you can talk about them. And talk about them not in an edifying way. You, you'll undress them. Yeah, I hate when they do that. And you join in. The problem with gossip is it's like fire. It spreads. You, instead of you going, you know what, I don't want to talk about this. No, you'll have that gossip. You'll have that conversation. You'll turn right around and you go to someone else and you go, you know what, I just heard about so-and-so. Spreads like a wildfire. You begin to corrupt everything within the body. James says it's, it stains the whole body. It, it sets on fire the entire course of life. Every aspect of your life. You're, you're getting up, you're going out, you're laying down. The relationships that you have, it affects it all. Have you ever seen a fire so out of control and the way they try to bring it under control? I mean, in, in this day and age, where James was writing this, fire just simply had to run its course. There wasn't airplanes that would drop this borate material that would quench the fire. They didn't have fire trucks and firemen and all those kind of things to try to ward this off. He says, all of this by a tongue. A single tongue can stir things up. Think about World War II. Adolf Hitler. He used the tongue. He used it to stir up an entire country. And he pursued Holocaust. That tongue he had motivated people to do evil. Churchill, on the other hand, his words motivated people to stand fast, to defend against this evil, to try to snuff it out. We live in a world that has fallen 
And sin has its tentacles everywhere. It's a wildfire if you think about it. And what we have been given is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the defense that puts out the fires of sin in the world, that bring people out of the darkness and into the light, that can put out the evil that's in the world. And we do it one life at a time through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we move through this, we see the good of the tongue and what it can do, the proclamation of the gospel, and we can see its destructive power. James will go on to make this comparison to show the inconsistency of our lives. And he does it in a way that's extremely interesting. Talks about the taming of animals. He says, you know, we have birds and we have beasts and reptiles and sea creatures. They can all be tamed. Tamed by mankind. I remember a little kid going down to San Diego, going to SeaWorld, seeing Shamu. This this huge beast from the sea. And watching him come up out and jump through a hoop. The dolphins, you know, standing up in the water, if you will, with their dorsal fin and moving backwards. They could be tamed. I remember going to Fair Park at the State Fair years ago and, and seeing an eagle leave a high point and come down, snatch something, circle, and then land right on the Master's hand. We, we tame everything. You, you can go to Las Vegas and she shows with tigers or lions and they're sitting, they're opening their mouths, they're giving their paw, they do all kinds of things. They're domesticated. But no one, James says, can tame the tongue. No human being. I shouldn't say no one. No human being can tame the tongue. He's trying to say there is an inconsistency here. Of all the beasts that are created, and we are the top of the chain, so to speak, God created all the beasts of the field, and then on the sixth day, He created man in His own image. I think James is saying this, you would think that if they could be tamed, that we could tame our tongues. But James says there's a problem and sin is that problem. And if you leave sin unchecked, you can be as bad as you can be. He's wanting us to see this, this shouldn't be this way. And so he talks about the inconsistency that takes place and the need for consistency. He shifts from tamed animals to then us using our tongue. He talks about our tongues being restless evil, a deadly poison. And then we do something unthinkable. If you think about it, he said, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father and we curse people made in the likeness of God. And I know for many of us, we go, well, I don't do that. And with an hour, we've done it. 
We've done it. And James makes this point. He says, these things ought not to be so. Why? He's called these individuals brothers. Brothers and sisters. They have been bought with a price. They have been redeemed. Our redemption by Christ isn't just for our soul. It's all of our being. We are His possession. We have been brought with a price. We are a new creation. That's why James is saying these things ought not to be so. He has purchased your tongue. He has purchased your mind and He has purchased your heart. Every aspect of your being, outside and inside. And James is going, think about this for a moment. Think about what creation shows us. Think about what you actually do. You bless and then you turn around and you curse. He's bringing this to our attention to cause us to think and then to do something about it. He he goes on to say that this inconsistency, he goes, you don't see it in the creation itself, the inanimate, so to speak. You don't see both fresh water and salt water coming from a spring, the same spring. You don't see fig trees bear olives. You don't see grapevines produce figs. In other words, they're true to their nature. So James is saying, what's the nature that you've been given? You're a new creature in Christ. Therefore, live it out. Doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. We're both saints and sinners. But our path should be to one to work at our salvation. It's what Richie was talking about, a faith with, with works. And those works are good works. You go through the pastoral epistles and the whole thing is about the the gospel going forth and being given from Paul to then Timothy and to Titus. And it's the baton keeps going on and on. But all of it is about teaching the Word of God. Why? So that the people can come to faith, yes, be saved, but then do good works. Those works that are ordained for us to carry out. That's what we are called to do. James is trying to point this out to us and help us to see how ridiculous we can be if we'll just pause and think about it. We don't want tongues that are set on fire from hell. That reference to hell there is Gehenna, Hades. Outside of Jerusalem, they burned the trash. They burned bodies. And it constantly smoldered. I think James has that in mind. He wants you to think about what your tongue is capable of doing if it's not put in check, so to speak. It's the Proverbs talked about. Don't be that world of iniquity. Don't be influenced by the world. Sinclair Ferguson said this. says, All our graces in our lives can be impotent with one breath, with one word. can destroy it all. He goes on further. He says, You want a good exercise? Meditate upon the Ten Commandments. 
And how does my tongue conform to those? You know, you can break almost every commandment with just your tongue. Shouldn't be that way. Well, we want to work at taming our tongue. We don't want to be inconsistent. We want to be more consistent. Because when we're inconsistent, we are what James talks about. We are unstable in all our ways. We are a double-minded man. We want a single-mindedness for Christ. John Owen is famous for these 70 resolutions that he put out for people to contemplate. Most people will look at them resolutions during the first of the year. And it's interesting how he has several of them that speak about the aspect of the tongue. Resolution number eight says this, I'm resolved to act in all respects, both speaking and doing, as if nobody had been so vile as I, and as if I had committed the same sins or had the same infirmities or failings as others, and that I will let the knowledge of their failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins and misery. He goes on to say, Never to speak evil of anyone, so that it shall tend to their dishonor. His final resolution, he says this, let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak. Adelaide Stevenson once said that he hoped that all of his words that went out were sweet and kind in case he had to eat them. We want to think before we draw back that bow and let those words fly. We want to be very, very careful in the way we speak. James' teaching of the tongue is in the context of the gospel. It is through the gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ where we can tame the tongue. We need His Word and we need His Spirit to do so. We need to come face to face with the Lord like Isaiah did. In Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees the Lord in all His glory, and what does Isaiah say? Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. In the midst of a people of unclean lips. He would have agreed with James that his tongue was evil. And yet the angel comes, puts the burning coal, cleanses his lips so that he may speak. Probably one of the greatest of the prophets. Maybe one of the greatest preachers of the Old Testament. We want to speak in a manner like that. But even more so as we're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we want to speak as Christ speaks. With gentleness, with kindness, with self-control, with love, in long-suffering, 
We should so want to grow in our maturity that we speak like Him. Let us be like the psalmist in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me into the everlasting way. Psalm 141. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Let us think of that day when every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is when this tongue is at its best, praising God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that you give us a word. Let it convict us, let it encourage us that we would go forth and be students of your word, that we would take it in, that it would do so much within us that we would live it out, that it would affect the words that we have to say to others have to say to spouses, to children, to neighbors, to friends, to co-workers. Let us be ever mindful that you have given us this small member to boast in the greatness of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.